Good morning. Isn't God, isn't it wonderful to worship the Lord in His house? You know, it's His house, right? It's not ours. It really is not. So, um, good morning everyone. It's great to see you. And uh, for those watching online, it's uh, washing online. Little error. Watching online. Sorry, I'm just getting my notes. Were we able to get the song? If not, no problem. Okay, I got the... The Roman emperor gave me the down, no song. That's okay. So, good morning all. It's great to see you. We had a wonderful night of worship last night and an encounter night. It was just wonderful and uh, it was just great to see those who came out. So many people came that I've never seen or met. And that's wonderful when you have people that come from different churches, different regions, different places. There was a gentleman who drove all the way from D.C. just to come for encounter night, not part of our church. Just, isn't that wonderful? Well, you can worship God together as a region, yeah? It's just wonderful. So, we are looking at, um, we even forgot to advertise, by the way. We just forgot to tell everyone about it. That seems to happen sometimes with me. But um, this room was full last night, just packed with all sorts of different people. It was just wonderful to worship God. It really, really is. So, we're in a series called The Precious Blood of Jesus. It's not a very long one. And if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can go to Romans chapter 3. It's going to be a while till we get there, but put your finger in Romans 3. And if you would like to, if you're one of those type of people that like to be organized even when you listen, put your other finger in Romans, in Hebrews, sorry, Hebrews 9 or 10. And we'll go between those. Um, We have many testimonies, by the way, coming in. I would like to share one. I shared it last night. During the fast, we prayed for resources, and um, we had a whole night where we just pl- prayed for people's resources and what, you know, just businesses and, and anything to do with resources. And there's a couple of people that have had amazing testimonies out of that. A gentleman was unemployed for a number of months, and he got an offer better than he ever thought. I think there's stock options and all sorts of positions and titles that he hadn't had before, and a 50% higher salary than he had before COVID. And uh, it's awesome, yeah, yeah, and he came and we prayed for him that night, and um, you know, and it's amazing to see what's happened, just out of one night of prayer. There was another gentleman we prayed for, he, he walks in just higher levels of, 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 uh, of business in regards to dealing with cities and areas and, and, you know, certain groups of buildings, we'll say, and you know, those kinds of projects need financing. Yeah, big projects when you're developing things for different cities and different areas around the country, around the state. And there was a big project that needed financing, and obviously with COVID, all the banks are just weary to do that. And, and so we prayed for him, and we laid hands on him, and, and just the testimony that's come, it just rocked my world this week when I heard it. He, um, he got a random phone call from a guy, not met before, I don't think, just a businessman, and uh, he, this businessman just says, hey, I want to invest with you. And, and so he's, wow, okay, and a lot of money. And then the next day he gets a random, you know, I'll, I'll say fax. That's so old. It was probably an email. And, um, and just from a, a bank, out of the blue, out of the blue, a bank saying, we want to finance this. Then... Two o'clock later the same day, I think it was later that same day, another email, another email from another bank, we want to finance this. And in a week he got $60 million of financing from an evening of prayer and fasting. Yeah. God is good. 
God is good. He, you know, He really is. He really, really is. So, I wonder if we can pray. <clears throat> Let's pray. Can we pray together? Can we ask the Lord? Don't just listen to me pray. Can we all pray? Just under your breath. You can pray out loud if you want to. But um, just ask the Lord for revelation. Ask for revelation. Not my words, but His word. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we, we bless your word. We thank you that it is your word and that all the scriptures, as Timothy says, well, as Paul said in Timothy, all scriptures God breathed and is useful. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power, its authority, and its truth. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that the anointing to preach and to teach would rest not just on me, but on the ears as we read your word. And that the blood, the precious blood of Jesus, would become a revelation to us, to all of us. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, I'm just going to continue with this subject. It's a massive subject. I don't really feel worthy to preach it or teach it, just in terms of the nature of the blood of Jesus. You know, if you look at these two things here, there's... The blood and the body of the Lord, there's a little wafer in there. With these two, everything's dealt with. Just with these two. Everything. There's nothing on earth that hasn't been conquered and dealt with with just these two items. The blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It covers everything. And so we are looking at that. So last week we went over a little bit of blood in the Old Testament. Just the phrase, the blood goes through every covenant, everything was sprinkled, it was pretty gross, but very powerful, what Jesus said concerning the blood. You know, on the night of the Passover, he said, for this is the blood of my covenant, of the new covenant, my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And we didn't speak much about what Jesus said, but we touched on it. But I said to you, I would ask, I asked three questions last week that I said I would talk about this week, and these were the three questions. Why does the blood have such power? Why does it have power? Why is there power? We sing songs, power in the blood, power in the blood. Why does it have such power? Wherein does the power of that blood come from? Secondly, what has the blood accomplished? Well, everything. Then we can go home. Everything. And thirdly, which we won't get to today, how can we as believers experience and live in the reality of these effects. How can we appropriate the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives? How can it become experiential? How can it become revelation? How can, what do we actually do? So that's going to be quite practical. But that's next week. Today, today is going to be more teaching. And I encourage you to listen with open ears. We're going to read a ton of scripture. I remember when I was younger, a preacher would say, we're going to read a lot of scripture. I'd be like, oh, now I get excited. I'm like, good, that's where it comes from, yeah? But why, how can we live in the ex experience? How can, we, how can we use in a sense, not, not, to, not in a bad sense, how can we appropriate the blood? I, I ended last week saying, you know, if the blood was in the basin in the Passover, the, blood, the lamb is slain, the blood is in the basin for them to put on the doorposts. If they didn't appropriate the blood with hyssop, the plant, hyssop, the little weed, the little plant that was everywhere, common, because we all have faith. Yeah, it's not quantity, it's every, available for all. If they didn't put it on the, on the doorpost and the lintel, 
They couldn't take the blood and say, well, the lamb was slain. Look, we have blood. They say, yeah, but you didn't, you didn't apply it. You didn't appropriate it. And there's various ways to do that. Now, if you're saved, you're under the blood. The blood has been applied to your life. But there are many powers and effects and effectious powers that the blood has. And we need to grow and learn in that. Amen? So, why does the blood have power? I touched on one of these last week. The blood has power. Wherein does the power come from? It has tremendous power, and that blood, the blood has power because of a legal power. It's a legal power, and by legal I mean in the high court of heaven, the Bible says the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. But where does it speak that word? Redemption, mercy, sanctified, cleansed. Where does it speak the word? In the high court of heaven. We have to understand that it's a legal authority. So when the devil comes, because he comes every day, the Bible says he comes and accuses and accuses and accuses. But our advocate, Jesus Christ, the intercessor, our advocate in the high court of heaven says blood. So it has a legal authority in heaven. And when we understand that, that authority will impact your life. And the whole of the government of heaven, the angels, the power, the authority, everything backs the blood. Everything. That's where its power comes from. Where else does its power come from? Its value. And its value system. So I'm going to speak about that quickly. We read this last week. Its value. Leviticus 17.11. This one verse, I encourage you to go home and read it. And read it, and read it. It's one verse, but it's an exceptionally powerful and important verse. Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, God speaking, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And we looked at that word life and that word soul, nefesh, same word, the soul of the flesh, is in the blood. Jesus says, it says in Isaiah 53, Jesus poured his soul out unto death. He poured all his life out. So what has God given us upon the altar? And you would say blood. Yes, life. (laughs) The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given you the blood upon the altar. But what's in the blood? The life of God. So what has he given us upon the altar? Life. So God gave Israel the blood on the altar as an atonement, as a covering. This means they would take the sins of the people, lay them on another. They would lay them on a little scapegoat, poor little goat. My mother probably wouldn't have liked the Old Testament. They, they lay their hands on the goat. They transfer the sin to the goat, and the goat is to go outside of the camp and die. But what would happen is the life is in the blood. So the life of that flesh, the life of the goat, was given so that the people didn't have to give their life because of the sin. Hello. It's a life for a life. Only blood will take away sin. So the blood that was given up in the death of that animal 
was actually the life in that animal, the life in the blood of that animal. But it was just a, a temporary measure. It was a stopgap. It, it, it couldn't take away guilt. It could only point out the fact that you're guilty and then cover it for one year. But it couldn't actually remove the guilt from the heart. It didn't have enough power. So where does the power in the blood of Christ come from? Well, let's read John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. The light that was in Jesus Christ, in His blood, the life of God was in the blood of Jesus. The life is in the flesh. Jesus was the Word made flesh. The life of God, the eternal power and authority was in the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> John, even, he even says in John 6, as the living Father, I love that Jesus said that. As the living Father sent me, I live because, the, because of the Father. So he who feeds on me, he's not talking about cannibalism, Imagine that sermon, John 6, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And a lot of people walked away. He didn't even try to explain. Talk about being secure. He went to his disciples and said, you're offended at this? You're going to walk away too? <laughs> we'll talk about that next week, communion. He who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. What about Colossians 2.9? For in him Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now that word bodily matters. In the incarnation, Christ on the earth, the fullness of God's power dwelt in him bodily. In his body, in his blood. So the power of the blood of Jesus Christ was because inside of that, inside of the word made flesh, the life is in the flesh. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So the life was of God himself was in the blood of Jesus. And there is nothing like the blood of Jesus. It is not tainted. It is not sinful. It has absolute power. It's not from here. It's not of earth. We watch so many fantasy movies, but as soon as you come to the Bible, it's like we put away that creative mind and we just get so logical that everything has to make sense. You know that people will believe in superstition before the supernatural? Christians too. You know, something will happen and they're like, you know, you know how that stuff happens. I mean, I don't understand it, but that kind of stuff will happen. But then you say, well, Jesus, oh, no, 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 that's crazy. Superstition. But Jesus was not from here. His blood, not from here. Yet he came and was obedient and born as a baby. And the power and the life of God was in that blood. Andrew Murray said this In that blood dwelt the soul of the son of the. the, the sorry, in that blood dwelt the soul, because the soul, the life of the flesh, the soul of the flesh, is in the blood. Nafesh, Hebrew word. He was the word made flesh. In that blood dwelt the soul of the Holy Son of God. 
That's why it says in Isaiah, he poured out his soul unto death. Because when you bleed out, you die. The eternal life of, of the Godhead was carried around in that blood. The power of the blood in all its diverse effects is nothing less than the eternal power of God. So why does the blood of Jesus have such power? Well, because of its value. It's precious. It's singular. It's separate. It's different. It's the soul of the Son of God. The life of God. Why else? Because of its value system. Blood has a value system. And what I mean by that is the manner by which Jesus gave his life. So, why was, how did that happen? Well, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, Father, is there another way? Using my own words. Is there another way? And maybe we'll get onto this next week, but <laughs> you know that so many times if you look at the Old Testament, they sprinkled the altar, they sprinkled, then they sprinkled the people. They sprinkled blood on everything. And often it says, sprinkle them seven times. You know Jesus bled seven times? They pulled out his beard, the side, the whips. He bled in the gardens, swept of blood. I can maybe go through it next week. He bled seven times. They would sprinkle seven times. And God said, this is the only way, son. Philippians 2 says it this way. Let this mind be in you, be in me, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he let go of something to save you. We have to understand this. I said this to the husbands. The first thing our husband, as the, as the groom, Christ, did for, this, for us as the bride was to leave his seat, of, leave his throne and come down and humble himself. He says, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Who's ever been spoken to by a child and be like, how, how dare you speak to me like that? You know, when a child has just no respect, no, and you just, I'm indignant, like, uh, be quiet. And they're like, I don't care, you know. Well, Jesus was spoken to by his own creation that way. Jesus was whipped by his own creation, spat on by his creation, mocked by his own creation. And he was so secure, he let it be to save those same people. He made himself of no reputation. I'll tell you a story, otherwise I cry. Playing cards the other day with my son, playing Uno with Matthew. And he's a stitch man, that kid. And Jen throws away a card like a plus four or something, and he speaks about himself in the third person. Sorry, just a little quick family story. He goes in a different voice, how dare you do that to Matthew Grenfell? <laughs> just, okay. Just a little sidetrack. Kind of the opposite of this, you know? But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Why in the likeness of men? Because of the image and the likeness of God is what was bent and twisted in man in the garden. 
We're made in God's image, but it's bent and twisted because we're born with a sin nature. So Jesus said, I'll come in the likeness and image of men to be a substitute sacrifice for man. It's good news. And he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, this is what I was saying earlier, he earned, actually. Therefore, God has also highly exalted and given him the name which is above every name. You know, we talk about this power in the name of Jesus. Some people are like, what does that mean? Do I just have to say his name? Do I, like, and then it becomes like a magical formula in Jesus' name. Didn't work. But in Jesus' blood, didn't work. It, it's not magic. It's what's behind it and shoring yourself up with what's behind it because the name of Jesus has the power with everything that Jesus' blood accomplished. That's what the name does. It comes from the blood. And it says here, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given in the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But it says he humbled himself and became obedient. So when I say, where does the power of the blood come from? Well, it's legal power in the high court of heaven. It's value because it's the blood and the soul of the Holy Son of God, and it's value system, which is what? What is the value system of the blood? Obedience and self-sacrifice. I will give myself a life for a life. And you know, when the blood of Jesus touches your heart, it'll produce that inside of you. I want to serve. I want to give my life. My life for your life. And when you become acquainted with the value system of the blood, the power of the blood becomes available to you. When you become acquainted with the value system of the blood, its power becomes available. And it has all power. He laid down his life. Through humility, he humbled himself, became obedient to death. It was through humility that he destroyed what the devil had to try to do through pride. So... What has the blood accomplished? Now we're going to do some teaching. You know, for a long time, and I trust you don't be offended by this, and I'm not saying whatever you think I'm saying, that's bad. Before the charismatic renewal, the charismatic renewal is an amazing, wonderful move of God, and it's awesome. And, but before that, you know, because what happens, sometimes God will do something powerful, and then let's get on with the gospel but some people just camp there and that one thing becomes everything. And if gifts are always at the center, you'll find man becomes at the center. Before gifts, the church went to the blood for power. Because when the blood is at the center, Jesus remains there. The blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus, Billy Graham said it this way, he had that man to such an ability to just be simple. The blood of Jesus accomplishes three things. It satisfies God. It completely satisfies God. Satisfied with the blood of Jesus. 
It saves sinners and it silences the devil. So we're about to get into some words. Redemption, propitiation, fancy long words. I'm asking you from my heart. Don't walk away from here going, oh, I need to remember that does that and that does. It's not about that. Remember those. The blood of Jesus satisfies God, saves sinners, and silences the devil. This that we're going to get into is some teaching and some reading. But you know, these words, I used to look at these words and I used to read them. I grew up in the church and I would, people would read the Bible, I'd read the Bible, and I'd know the verse. But when people would ask me, what does it mean? And I'd find, when I tried to explain it, I didn't really know. What does redemption mean? Uh, well, you know, redeemed. But what does it mean? You know, and so I started to look at these words around the blood of Jesus years ago until they became so much a part of me that I knew them, not just here, inside and out. And I said, God, I need to understand this, not so that it's here, until it changes the way I approach you, until it changes the way I pray, until it changes me on the inside, until when the enemy lies, I can know it's the enemy because it doesn't match with what your blood has done. So you study not to just to show yourself approved, even though that's good. You study and you look and you read because the, the, the people of God, what's the verse? My people perish for lack of knowledge. And so you do that so you can stand assured and say, no, I am covered. So let's look at how can we know what the blood has accomplished if we don't know what the scripture, the words, some, and we can't go around all, there's, there's so many, but some of the very main centrifugal, if that's a word, points about the blood. The first one is redemption. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. So there it tells you the word of what it means. To redeem means to purchase. That's actually what it means. You know, in the, there's something called a Seder, which they would do as the Passover. A lot of people still do a Seder, and they were like three pieces of bread, and the middle piece of bread would represent Christ. This is like in the whole Passover dinner thing for the Jewish side of things, the Jewish, the Jewish practice. And when they would do the Seder, they would hide this ephikomen. It's a little, the middle piece of bread representing Christ. They would break it and hide it, and then a little child would go find it. And he, he found it like one that was exciting. But when they took that piece back, they would take it like this and say, I've redeemed you. I pay. I'm paying. Redemption means to purchase, to buy. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. Let's go to... Ephesians 1, I don't think it'll be up behind you. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Romans 3, we're going to camp here for a moment. Now we know that whatever the law says, talking about the Old Testament law, it says to those who are under the law, speaking to the Jews, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And Paul is, actually I won't give you context and I'll start on another subject. But we're all found guilty from the light of our conscience, from the light of the evidence of creation, from the light of knowing God. And he's saying, all men stand guilty before God, they need Jesus. Okay? And the law points this out. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. 
There's nothing you can do to earn. We know this. For the by the law is knowledge of sin. Okay? But now, can we say but now? The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed, being seen by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God. Through faith, that's hyssop, appropriating the blood, in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know how many people misquote that verse? When they mess up and make mistakes and we all do, we say, well, you know, we fall short of the glory of God. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying you were born in your nature. You cannot. You've sinned and fall short by who you are. So you need a divine rescuer. Being justified for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now being justified freely. Can we say freely? Freely by his grace, which means unmerited favor. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Excuse me, I got a cough. I'm fine, I just swallowed wrong. (laughs) Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, which I'll explain. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So redemption means to purchase. The human race, why purchase? Now the human race, humankind, mankind needed to be purchased. The Bible says, Ephesians 2, you were born as slaves. Think about that. You were born with a sin nature, and the Bible says in Romans 6 that the slave master, his name is sin, and he's your master. That's why in the Old Testament, we see what we see with the Israelites going through Egypt. Those little boys and girls that were born in those 400 years of captivity, they were born as slaves, raised under a cruel slave master that just beat them. Their only promise was death. Their only future was to die and be born and live as a slave all their life. So they had to be purchased. They had to be bought. They had to be redeemed. That's what the Exodus is about. So everything that follows, everything that we're going to read, all the terms, you guys still with me? This is the outworking of that one word, redemption. We were bought back by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, the second one is justification. We just read it, Romans 3, 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ because of his blood. Romans 5, actually, verse 8 to 9. Does it up behind me? Okay, well, I'm not there yet, so it's not in my notes. Romans 5, verse 8 to 9 says this. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood. Again, the blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Justification is more than forgiveness. Forgiveness is what? I forgive you. 
even if you're declared innocent by a court, you're forgiven, but everyone knows you did it. Yeah? The reputation of what you did follows you around. Yeah, he got free, but I don't trust him. That's forgiveness. You can forgive, but you know they've done it. It still has an effect. Justify comes from a Greek word which means to acquit, to declare as righteous. You see, the blood of bulls and goats could only cover over the sin, but it couldn't change the sinner. It could only like temporarily atone, but it couldn't cleanse the heart. It couldn't change the heart. To, to be justified means to be imputed upon with the righteousness of another and made just as if I never sinned. Justified. I've been made clean inside and out by the, by the grace of God, by unmerited favor. Just as if I never. You don't feel like that at times, and I don't feel like that at times, but that's the accuser of the brethren. He will come. I'm not saying run around and sin and do whatever you want. Your relationship with God is secure. Son, Father. My fellowship with God will come and go depending on how I walk with Him. But according to the enemy, I am justified. And He has no authority over my life. None. Zero. Even when I sin, even when I make mistakes, and he goes, oh, you opened the door, look what I'm going to do. Be quiet, get behind me, you have no authority over me, I'm justified the blood. And if we don't know that, the Bible doesn't say, let the redeemed of the Lord think so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's got to come out of your mouth. Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission. Remission means a cancellation of debt, a penalty removed, a debt removed. It's been remitted. It's been gone. It's been washed. It's been wiped. <laughs> Declared not guilty. Boom. That's justified. We've been justified freely. By his grace. It's an, it's an astounding truth. Many of us know this, but let me ask you, do you know it in your prayer life? Do you know it in your personal heart when you, before the Lord? Do you believe you stand there justified? Not, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, you know, when you come with the heart of, I can do whatever I want, I've, the word escapes me. Entitlement, that's exactly right. Thank you, Debbie. Not entitlement, no, 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 justified. Grace, therefore gratitude. Declared not guilty. <laughs> then what does it say next? Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. What does that mean? Propitiation by his blood. Amazing. By his blood, through faith, hyssop. So what does this mean? It means to appease, to placate. It means merciful, to become in another's place and to appease the sentence, the penalty, or whatever. It says in another translation, whom God publicly displayed as an appeasement or atonement or covering of our sin by the blood of his son. God had to do something publicly. That's why it says later, so that it can be shown to be righteous as the just, just, righteous as the just, uh, and the one who justifies. In other words, 
only God, only God can maintain his integrity of righteousness and holiness and justify a sinner even while they're still struggling, but they can come near to him. Only God can do that. Because he said, I have blood in my son that is so powerful that it will remove sin forever. So that even while you're learning that, even while you're struggling, even while you can come to me and I am just, I am the just God, but I can also be the justifier and remain holy because I see you through my son. The devil never knew that. The Bible says he couldn't understand. It was never some mystery. So that's why he made sure to try. You know, if the devil knew that killing the son of God would lead to what it did. He would have done everything he can to protect Jesus. So don't touch him, leave him. He couldn't, only God, the just God, and the one who justifies, the ungodly. And yet they can be ungodly in life sometimes and stand justified in his presence because he is your propitiation that says, God displayed publicly. Look what I can do, because I am God. It actually brings glory to God when you do that. You realize, people say, well, I don't feel like I deserve it. I don't care what you feel like. It brings glory to God. When I go to him, God, I'm justified, brings glory to God. That's what it's saying here. And it says, whom God publicly displayed. Now, this word propitiation honestly changed my life. And it changed me, changed my approach. I, I looked into it for quite a while and I studied it and it just changed the way I, I knew God sees me different than the way I thought. You know, there's only two times in the New Testament that this word is used. And the other time, it's in Hebrews 9 and it says this, and above it were the cherubim of glory, speaking about the ark and the process of the sprinkling of blood in the Old Testament. And it, what was on top of the ark, the two cherubim, in between was called the mercy seat, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And Paul says we can't speak about these things in detail. You know the only other time this word propitiation is used in the New Testament, it's translated there as mercy seat? It's the same word in the Greek. And it was the mercy seat in the Old Testament that was called, the mercy seat as well as the ark was called the footstool of God. In other words, that on that which I step down and come to man. And it was there at the footstool of God that God spoke face to face with Moses as, man, as a man speaks to his friend. Intimacy, mercy on the mercy seat. But the mercy seat was sprinkled with the blood of animals seven times. And then God would step down on his footstool and speak and commune with Moses and intimate fellowship with Moses on the mercy seat. This word propitiation means mercy seat. And when I realized that, it, it changed my world honestly because I realized this is the key to intimacy with God. And the news is that it's no longer blood of bulls and goats over here that the blood of his son Christ with all its power is on the real mercy seat. That was just a shadow. The real mercy seat in heaven. And I can go to God with boldness and confidence and stand there with him and talk and hear his voice 
and know his presence and know his love and see his power and his authority in my life, changing my heart, apologizing for things, growing in things, receiving things, giving things, at the mercy seat with Jehovah, with Yahweh. Because the blood is on the mercy seat. I am propitiated for. And I can have relationship with my father. It's there on the mercy seat. I'm going to have to bring this to a close. What other words do we have that are associated with blood? The blood of entrance, which is in Hebrews 10. And I'll just read you a small, quick portion of it. See, it's because of this propitiation I can have entrance. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, the most holy place. Where is that? The mercy seat, the mercy seat, the ark, the presence of God. By a, excuse me, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us. What does consecration mean? It's another like, whoa, we hear it all our life. What does it mean? I can take something that was just for common use in the Old Testament, like a oil or something, and I will consecrate it, go through a ritual or what in the Old Testament, consecrate it and now set it apart from common use to holy use. What does it say? This is powerful. Watch this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated. He consecrated the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I consecrate the way by putting my blood all the way. And you can come the same way to the Father that I come because my blood has come with me. He consecrated, he made the way holy, never to be unconsecrated because he did it. So you can always go to the Father. He consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. You know, the veil was torn in the temple from top to bottom at the same time that his flesh was being torn. For you. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. The blood of entrance. We can draw near to the Lord because the way is consecrated. What about cleansing? Oh, God, help me with this one. The blood of cleansing. The Bible says, I tell you, the, the precious blood of Jesus, it will cleanse you. Not only from your sin, like when you come to, come to know the Lord. Yes, but when that is so powerful, I don't want to just skip over that. Nothing can remove... Sin has two things, weight and wages. The wages is death, the penalty is death, but it also has weight. It's like, ugh, it's a weight. And you know, that weight gets heavier and heavier and heavier. You know what makes it get heavier and heavier in my belief, in my perspective? You trying to remove it without Jesus. And it makes it heavier and heavier. And people come to the altar. They come to the Lord in their bedroom, whatever. They come and they receive the cleansing blood of Jesus. It goes in. You know, if you take your finger, dip it in brown sugar and put the blood of an animal, that sugar goes white as snow. There's a cleansing power 
in the blood of Jesus. It's not the blood of bulls and goats, which just goes over. Everyone knows you did it. You're not absolved from guilt. You feel the dirty inside. You feel what you've done, but you're covered, so you're kind of good for a year. It's not that. It goes in and changes your heart and cleanses you and, and washes you out. It's like someone, my dad used to say, it's like someone put dishwashing detergent in you and shook you up and down, and you feel clean. You feel clean inside. You feel, oh, I'm washed. I'm clean like someone washed me out. And then we go from that place, from that altar, and we go get back involved in the world, and then we feel the dirty again. Well, guess what? The way is being consecrated. <laughs> There's a cleansing power in the blood of Jesus. Nothing else can cleanse you. The Bible says not only will it cleanse you from sin, the Bible says it will cleanse your conscience. Can I just read you this and then we'll land. Christ's blood has the power to cleanse your mind. It says cleanse your conscience from dead works. Hebrews 9. Christ's blood has the power to cleanse your mind, your soul, and your heart. You can be cleansed from sin, having the guilt removed, fear removed, shame removed, all by the blood of Jesus. But it also says he will cleanse your conscience. From what? From dead works. What are dead works? Dead works for a believer is anything they do to try and attain what they've already been given. Dead works for an unbeliever is anything they do to try and attain life which they cannot attain by their own works. Bible says only the blood of Jesus has power to change a human heart. It will wash you clean, friends. If you're here today and you say, I need to be washed, don't leave. Today is the day of salvation. You know what it's like to be washed? You know what it's like, oh, I'm a Christian. You may be a Christian, but when was the last time you gave your life to the Lord? Lord, you have my life. Wash me. Change me. By the power of his blood. Reconciliation is another word. I'll skip over it. Peace. I'll end with this. Peace. Colossians 1 says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You know, there's different types of peace. The Bible says, therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God. Do you believe, if you're a Christian, that you have peace with God? The Bible says you do. And I mean with all the love of my heart, then act like it. We walk around, sorry, I'm so terrible. No, no, no. Peace. You have peace with God. There's no longer enmity. You are an enemy. If you're not saved... I love you as a person, I do, but the Bible says you're an enemy of God even if you don't know him. <laughs> Bible says that. And it's true. I know I've experienced it. But when you get saved, friends, you have peace with God. Wages gone, debt removed, guilt clean inside. And you have peace with your father. But then there's some, another type of peace. The Bible speaks about the peace of God. Oh, that's different. 
That's walking with God, with peace in my heart, that anything that happens around me, I'm unaffected. Because I not only have peace with God, I can carry the peace and I can have the peace of God. That's your walk with the Lord. That's different. And then thirdly, peace between nations. It's a different type of peace. Peace between nations, which I won't get into now. I'm not telling you bad news. That will not happen until the end. No matter how many treaties, no matter how, there will be wars and rumors of wars, and then the end will come. <laughs> Only Jesus will do that. Why does the blood have power? Because of its legal power. Because of its value. Because of its value system. What has the blood accomplished? Well, you can go look at all those words yourself. There's many. But it satisfies God. God is satisfied when he sees the blood. Completely and utterly satisfied. It saves you. And it saves you again and again. You're saved, but you're being saved. And again and again. And again, but if you don't know what the blood has done, the devil will push you around because he's the accuser. And it silences the devil. Say, so be quiet. Can we stand? I hope that's helpful to you. Friends, go get the stuff inside of you. Next week, we'll take communion. And I'm going to talk about how do we appropriate this in daily life? You know, the good news is good news. Yeah? I heard someone say once, why is the good news in many churches become good advice? You know, it's like that. If I go to the bank and I've given this example before, I, I give it in our, in our class called uh, Discovery. If I go to the bank and someone tells me how to manage my money and I meet with him and it's great and and he gives me a lot of good advice that's helpful, but that's good advice. A lot of preaching is good advice. Don't do this, do this, live like this, be like that, be like this person, don't. Good news is when I go to the bank and they say, hey, this morning someone put $10 billion in your account. <laughs> and when you run out of it, he's gonna put another one. That's good news. There's a big difference between the gospel that is good news and the gospel that is good advice. The blood of Jesus has won everything. It is finished. Simple. Can we bless the Lord?